Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson skulle jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who's always up for some pasta. Yeah, I know that that's a cheap one, but give it to me. I'm talking about the Bruins here. I'm your host, Dylan Dabrowski, and I am very excited to present to you this episode of our show because we've got another installment of our 32 Beats interview series coming to you because I talked to Fluto Shinzawa all about the Boston Bruins. It was a really fun chat. I'm really looking forward for you to hear it and then let us know what you think because we went deep on a lot of players all throughout the Bruins lineup. And yeah, they're a very interesting team with a lot of decisions to make this offseason. So I think you're going to like it. Uh, before we get to the interview, let me mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the whole world. World. They have articles every day, and especially now you want to be checking out Dabra Hockey because uh, by the time this episode is released, the Seattle Kraken will have been formed, and you're going to want to be reading about the fantasy projections for all of these guys. So follow that, all the tools of Frozen Tools. It's all there, DabraHockey.com. But okay, with that, I will not delay you any further. Enjoy my interview with Fluto Shinzawa. Here it is. All right, everybody, super excited to bring you today's edition of our 32 Beats Beat Writer series. We've got a ringer coming in for you today because it's someone we talked to last year, one of the first interviews from last year. We're getting him again, Fluto Shinzawa from The Athletic to talk about the Boston Bruins. Welcome back to the show, Fluto. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming to join to talk about this Bruins team. You've been covering them for a while, and I feel like once again, this is another year, just like when we talked last year, a strong season for the Bruins, though unfortunately for the second year in a row, a year that ended a little earlier than planned. The Bruins walked through the Capitals in five games, but then got taken out by the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, but even though the results were similar, it feels to me like the team is in a much different situation like now than they were when we talked to you last year. It just seems like there's so much in the air right now, some huge decisions to be made. Like they're going to continue to sport one of the top lines in hockey, like with Bergeron, passed on Marchand. They've all got, well, Bergeron's got one more year and passed on Marchand a little longer. But beyond that, like two-thirds of their second line are pending UFAs. Uh, their longtime starting goalie is also UFA. So the question I'd like to ask you is, like, what's the vibe you're getting right now from Bruins management and fans in terms of like how they want to handle this critical offseason? Like, do you think this is like time for a major overhaul, or are they just going to try to bring back as much of the band as possible to go on another run next year? It all starts with Bergeron, and then to, to that extent, Martian, in terms of the window still being open in terms of being able to contend for a championship. Now, you could argue that, especially when they go back to divisional play, can they contend with Tampa? I don't know. I don't think so. Granted, Tampa is going to lose like half its team because of the cap yeah. issues. But no, it's it's still a the internally, they feel they have or, or they pretty much owe it to Patrice and Brad, who is only three years younger, that they deserve one more crack. And this might be it just because Patrice only has one more year left on his deal. So, and that overlaps with the three major UFAs, Rask, Krejci, Hall. So, and and you have no idea what the Rask situation is because, okay, even if he comes back, it's, it's January or February. So who knows what the season will be like by then. Who knows how a 34-year-old goalie is going to recover from major hip surgery 
Um, and, and maybe this is just the Bruins opportunity to say, okay, you've, you've served us so well for such a long time, but this is, this is a good organic jumping off point for them to transition to Jeremy Swayman and an experienced goalie, because you can't, you can't expect Jeremy to go in and carry the ball in pretty much year one. So that would be unfair. So there's that. There's Krejci, who's who has, uh, from what he said, it's either Boston or Czech Republic, and he still hasn't made that decision if he wants to come back for one more year or two more years or whatever, or take his family over to Czech. Um, so that's uh, that's a waiting game, and they want to know sooner rather than later, of course, so that they can set their alternate plans into motion if David doesn't want to come back. Uh, and then we're seeing that that Taylor Hall. There's been some progress there in terms of his uh, extension with Boston, and that makes sense. Number two left wing. They like what they saw. He liked what he saw. He wants to stay. He's sick of losing and sick of changing his address for all these years. For sure. So that that looks like, of, of those three, that looks like the most immediate one. But, yeah, there's, there's, there's certainly um, some decisions to be made. We, we still haven't addressed the fact that they need desperately a left shot defenseman to be able to contend day in day out so they've the Bruins are, are in a good position in terms of cap space they've got about 20 25 million free but that goes away awful quickly when you're talking about high-end players so they have some flexibility but uh, they, they've got to fill these gaps with the right players yeah, so definitely you've pretty much set the table for all the guys I plan to uh, talk to you about today. I guess we might as well start a net. So yeah, Tuka Rask had a bit of a rough year this year, like coming out of the gate, like more subpar performances than we're used to seeing from him. Then he suffered that upper body injury, which, which kept him out for a couple weeks at the end of, the, of March. Then to make matters worse, this like news came out that after he was eliminated from the playoffs, that he was playing through like a torn hip labrum in the playoffs. And now he's going to have surgery. And like you said, he might not come back until January, February, uh, which would be terrible news, like combined with the fact that Yaroslav Halak is a you know UFA, but of course, like we have a new savior in town, uh, Jeremy Swayman, who you by the way totally called in our interview last summer. I listened to it recently. Uh, you said that he tracks as a goalie that's going to be a number one in the league. You said it's going to be a couple years, so maybe it was a little <laughs> bit uh, earlier than scheduled. But yeah, I'm curious. Like, Fluda, did you, did you expect Swayman to excel like this? Like, he went seven and three in his ten starts. He had a 9.45 save percentage. I'm curious to know, like, obviously you said last year you expect him to be a number one at some point but is like is this guy for real and do you think he's ready to take over he's legit absolutely legit but did did anybody predict that he would have that that run that he went on last year with 10 game 10 games no absolutely not and it didn't come out of the blue you look at his american league record granted it was it was limited in terms of opponents and not even playing in their home rink really but even that was good before his call up now it took a lot of circumstances for him to to come up Tuka was hurt. Uh, Yarrow out with COVID. Uh, Vladar, okay, but a little iffy. And so here comes your number four goalie in her depth chart, and he makes an immediate impact. So that shows, okay, you always wonder about young goalies, but and, and 10 games is not that much, but I think that showed everybody that he's ready for NHL, that he doesn't need, they don't need to be, wasting wins that they could be getting in Boston down in Providence next year. He's just, he's, he's ready mentally, physically. It's, it, he looked great. He was composed. The numbers were great. Um, the eye test was great. Now it's a whole different story when you're the guy 
uh, or at least half the guy in terms of there's no Tuka Rask, uh, at least at the start, to, to help you get through. There's no Yaro to be that older uh, guy who's seen everything to help you along. And there's, there's going to be bumps. Uh, guys are going to be looking for him to be, uh, I think if there's any kind of book on Jeremy, it's like he's very aggressive when he knows that first shot is coming. So what are they going to do? Shooters are going to hold on to the puck. They're going to get a, a cross crease. They're going to they're gonna try and expose that tendency that they've seen. But yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's absolutely a future long-term ace. Now, whether that happens next year, uh, that's, that's a little unfair. And the Bruins have to have some insurance just in case. Well, well what if he gets hurt? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't, they, they've said, okay, maybe one option is to go with Swayman and Vidar, but that's a really, 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 tough spot to put two young goalies in and to put your organization in when you think you have a chance to contend. Cause what if, what if Jeremy gets hurt, then you got to go with Vladar who has, he's been okay, but there's still uh, questions as to whether he can even become an NHL backup at this point. So yeah. Uh, so I meant legit, but need some veteran help for 21, um, 22. Okay, well, yeah, I guess the, there's a few options out there in FA. Apparently, Mike Smith might be off the table, but that's probably fine. But uh, yeah, Vladar, maybe yeah, he had a good season in Providence last year, 923 save percentage, but only in 10 games. I and mean, his handful of games with the Bruins weren't as good. So anyways, l- anyways, lucky for the Bruins that, uh, you know, last time we were talking with Raska and Halak about to be UFA, and all of a sudden now at least Swayman looks good enough to take, like you said, at least half the role. Uh, okay, so let's go to the forwards. I mean, you brought up Bergeron. It's the last year of his contract. The reigning Marc Messier, NA NHL Leadership Award winner, uh, put up another fantastic season as a 35-year-old. He had 23 goals, 48 points in 54 games. So that's like equivalent to like a 35-goal, 73-point pace if he played a full 82-game season. He even, I see, upped his shot rates and his hit rates over the previous couple of seasons. So he was just all around like a huge asset to the Bruins, of course, and to his fantasy managers uh, in your multi-category leagues. And perhaps the most exciting part of his stat line are those 54 games. Like, it's a 56-game season, so he was healthy pretty much all season long, aside from a missed game in late April. Then, you know, everyone took the last game off of the regular season. Uh, So when we talked about Bergeron last year... You mentioned that the Bruins were doing a good job of like easing his workload, taking away some of the hard shifts and the PK and shifting him to like more of an offense first player. So all that said, like how much longer do you think Bergeron can continue to produce at this elite level? Like, should we just go by the assumption that next year will end up being similar to the previous year and this guy's going to keep going for a while? Certainly this past season didn't show any signals of any immediate decline in terms yeah. of next year, just because those numbers are absolutely first line regardless of of who his line mates were um and yes he, he was he was still primarily a he was getting a lot of offensive zone starts he was getting his power play time um a little bit reduced on the penalty kill but still some hard shifts there in terms of shorthanded so uh, i think the the key part for patrice was that the the like you said the health the groin issue which came up two years ago just he was able to manage it pretty much all year. He said it never really flared up. So that's a, that's a great sign for him, but you never know at that age that could just pop one day. And then boy, that's, that's tough to recover from, especially when you've had repeated trauma to that area on your body and, and the way he plays, it's, he doesn't cheat. He's, he's a hard skater. He, he can, he can hit when he, when he needs to, he gets down and dirty on those face-offs 
Um, so this is not a perimeter player by any means. Now he, he's, he's learned and he does it so well where he doesn't over pursue like a lot of skaters that he knows exactly where he needs to be. Doesn't need to overextend his territory. He knows, okay. Uh, he's not the type of guy to pursue his, the, his opponent or the puck. He'll always be in the right spot, but the, the, the age, the injury history, the fact that he has one year left on his deal, it's, it's uh, yeah. You really have to keep an eye on him, just in terms of okay, can he can he be this productive consistently? And, and he said, just in terms of his contract, maybe he's on a year to year basis from here on out, which would be Bruins would be fine with that. Um, so, but yeah, you look at you look at that stat line. You look at who his line mates will be. You look at his role. Now they they do need a good support man over number two center. Otherwise, everyone's going to be focusing on that top line. Um, but I, I don't, I don't see any immediate decline in him for for at least one more year. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I guess so. You're saying maybe we shouldn't expect him to like you know re up for like a three year contract extension or something. I don't think that's within his. Uh, it's, he's he's one of those guys that I think he he will say goodbye when he knows that he cannot excel anymore. I, I don't know Patrice that well, but that's the sense that I get from him is that he's he's used to a certain standard of of performance and and pretty much excellence for him. And when whenever that slips, I I don't think he'll be interested in just hanging on. So oh, I see. Yeah, he'll and, and yeah, the Bruins will be, be will be fine, uh, right? Because of of the over thirty five issue. If they go year by year, that like they did with Chara for the last couple of years, that'll be fine. So maybe that's the ideal scenario for both sides. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Though it is really hard to imagine the Bruins without Bergeron. Though, like also without Krejci, like you said, yeah. like he's a UFA. Imagine if they both leave. Like who right now does do the Bruins even have someone in the system that like could fill these like one C and two C roles? Like once these guys are gone, or is this the kind of situation where you know they need to be going after Jack Eichel? Like I'm looking like like Charlie Coyle is the guy who uh like was 3c this past year and i guess i saw you wrote an article about like the bruins depth chart and how the lineup looks after brandon carlo's extension on the on the uh, athletic and you went into this c situation and yeah you were saying like maybe charlie coyle can step up he's got five years left on his 5.25 million dollar contract but obviously that would be a huge step back from having guys like uh, bergeron and Krejci. no question let's just say that, that david Krejci doesn't come back next year and you move charlie up to that second line center well he's He's never played that here in Boston. And maybe he's had some opportunities in Minnesota before, but nothing that really stood out. And he really, he didn't – granted, he was hurt. He played for, for part of this past season with, with a pretty significant knee injury. Didn't miss any games because of it. But he was not dominant as a third-line center, which you would think he should be. Now, he didn't have consistent line mates. That was an issue, too. So, okay, let's say he's the number two center, maybe with Hall on the left and Craig Smith on the right. Okay, maybe, maybe that's there's something there, but historically, Charlie's never done that. So it would be a big ask. Uh, the other big ask would be of Jack Stanika. Um, right. Natural center um, is more comfortable there than at right wing. Did not play well at right wing last year in about 20 games. Just not much offense there. But that was, again, a tough ask for for a young guy, 22 years old, to play out of position on the right side. Just physically wasn't mature enough and strong enough to, to handle that. Now, does he does he track to be a second-line NHL center? Yeah, there, there's, there's been some, some pops in terms of his 
junior play in terms of his providence play. He can kill penalties, which they like. He can skate a little, little light on the on the puck, but that'll come with with strength and maturation. Creative, uh, doesn't mind shooting. So there's there's pieces there that make him interesting in terms of an offensive center. But uh, until we see that, until we still haven't seen him as a consistent any line center in the NHL yet. So that will be a tough, tough uh, ask for him to be your number two center in 21-22. But can he get there eventually sometime during his career? Yeah, I think so. First line center, I don't know. Yeah, that, that is an issue for them going forward. The day that Patrice and David are not here and you haven't acquired anybody from the outside, I don't know if Coyle and Stanika are, are a one-two punch that can hang with the, the point, whatever, uh, Stamkos or whoever it sure. is, and, you know, Barkov or that's, yeah, that's, uh, they would be deficient there. And for years, it's, it's been such a position of strength. Yeah, it would be really weird to see the Bruins like uh, going in that other direction. I, I did see, I think it was you that mentioned one of your articles, like like Jack Eichel could be someone they could go after. But I guess they need to first find out from Krejci because uh, what's going to happen with him right. if they have room for Eichel this year. Uh, yeah, and then Studnika, like, I guess the problem with the Bruins being so good recently is they don't really have too many awesome prospects in the pipeline. Like, I was seeing a lot of articles, like, aside from Swayman, is Studnika currently considered the top prospect in the organization? Maybe, yeah, like- yeah, and that that's, uh, maybe that's not a great thing, right? right. Just because uh, probably there, if you, if you look a little bit down the depth chart organization, probably they're their best uh, the prospect in terms of future NHL impact is Mason Larray, but he, he hasn't even played his first shift of college hockey yet. So this is their second round pick in, what was it, in 2020? Yeah, the, this most recent one. So, and he was he was good, very good uh, in the USHL, but that was as as an overager. So where is he going to, to level out when... Uh, he's playing against older players. We'll see. But the Bruins are very, very optimistic about his development. Um, yeah, up front, Sadnika probably top prospect. Um, maybe Oscar Steen someday. Maybe Jakob Lauko someday. Uh, on defense, probably Erho Vakanainen. Maybe mm-hmm. Jack Ashan, number two. But again, those are not, you don't look at them and say, whoa, these are going to be they are they are uh, trending to be impactful top four NHL defensemen, top six NHL forwards. Uh, yeah, so like you said, that's that's the price you pay for picking late and also dealing away uh, two first round picks and uh, in the Rick Nash and Andre Kasha trades. So yeah, that's it's the the system is is thin down there, very thin. Right. Well, uh, like you said, though, I guess maybe it's worth it because the Bruins are going to go on another run this year. And obviously a big part of it is the remainder of that top line, like David Pasternak and Brad Marchand joining Bergeron. We were talking about Bergeron's health. Of course, the player whose health we were most concerned about going into this past season was Pasternak as he underwent that hip surgery on September 16th. And the prognosis was he'd be back by mid-February. But of course, like he's a stud and he returned early, came back with like by the end of January and he came back with a bang at five goals in his first three games 
games, including a hat-trick versus the Flyers. Uh, come the end of the season, Pasternak played 48 games, uh, scored 20 goals and 48 points, so a tidy point-per-game pace. Uh, so that would, of course, be a phenomenal season for most players. But keep in mind, Pasternak had actually scored 48 goals in 70 games the year before, tied with Ovechkin. And he had paced for over 100 points in each of his previous two seasons before this one. So I guess just to nitpick, I can't only like lavish praise on the top lines. So I'm just curious, like, did you notice anything in particular as to why Pasternak's goal and point totals were a bit down or is this just simply like random variance over a smaller sample size? He, he was inconsistent, uh, especially when you look at the start he had. Everybody thought, whoa, this is he's, he's right back where he started with yeah. the start that he had coming back. Only missed a few games, but it was absolutely impactful offensively. But then it was kind of peaks and valleys for a long stretch of the season and not much of an impact in the playoffs. Uh, said he was healthy. Uh, you wonder just the way because it was his his touch was really really bobbly and wobbly and just it, it was not clean for a lot of time. So you kept wondering, geez, there's something wrong with his hand, his wrist, or fingers, whatever. It just wasn't as smooth and clean with the puck as he usually is. He said he was fine. So maybe in hindsight, you look at just the off season that he had that was uh, interrupted because of the hip surgery. And, and um, it's just to, to play at the level that he did the year before, uh, maybe he's just one of those guys, and, and maybe most guys are like that, where you just need consistent, regular off-season uh, training. And he, he'll get that this season. Um, so that should be something in, in his favor. But unfortunately, one, one thing that's not is just his family life. Uh, his, him and his girlfriend had a, had an awful loss of their, their boy, young boy, which is uh, no words. And, and how does that impact, uh, a young man like that? You, you, you don't know that, that that's life-changing tragedy. So, uh, it's, it's hard to say that the personal life doesn't, uh, kind of, uh, overlap with with on ice performance but you wonder how that was is going to affect david's play and and you you can't you can't help but wonder if if that's going to affect him in in any way and and you could certainly understand if it did yeah so uh, i just i hope just mentally he's he's uh, of course he's going to be just damaged beyond belief but you, you hope that with, with help from his family, his friends, his teammates, whatever he needs, that he gets that uh, get gets past that okay. You're never going to be okay, but uh, at least to the point where life is okay, uh, bearable, and that you you can come back to work and be um, functional, uh, productive in terms of you know, what you've historically been. So, but. Can't help but wonder what what kind of player is Pasternak going to be, and he, he, you could certainly understand if if he doesn't approach the the production that he has in previous years. Sure, yeah, and I guess it's so hard to speculate for something like that, but right. at least it's good to know that like we kind of have an excuse for last year, like you said, like training was tough. I think that was with, it. Yeah. yeah. I guess it was actually similar. Well, I guess not exactly the same thing. When we talked to Jesse Marshall about the Penguins, he was saying that Malkin like maybe slumped and was inconsistent at the start of the year because he didn't get to practice at all. That was because of like COVID and like, he had trouble finding practice ice. So I guess, yeah, like a lot of things from this past season are just so hard to like read into or know whether to read into or not since, since it was such a weird year with the pandemic and everything. Yeah. I guess uh, let's finish off the trio. Last year, I didn't even ask you about Brad Marshall. I was listening to to our interview. I guess we didn't need to because he's just been the, you know, 
pillar of consistency over the past three seasons. Every year, he paces for between 100 and 204 points. And then just for kicks, actually, this past year, he put up his best point pace of his career as a 32 and 33-year-old, 69 points in 53 games for a 107-point pace. I feel like like Bergeron gets all the attention as the player on the team that we expect to be approaching the twilight of his career. But like normally, you'd expect a 33-year-old like Marshawn to also be slowing down soon and not keep getting better as as he has been. So like since you've been covering the Bruins for so long, I'd love to get your take on Marshawn and what he's done to continue producing like this into his mid-30s. Like, I, he's got to be a rare case, right? Like, uh, he had been with the Bruins his whole career. He never broke 80 points until his seventh year in the league, and now he paces for 100-plus year in, year out. It's amazing. Uh, of course, credit goes to Patrice and David. Uh, playing right. with those two is, is going to increase your, your point production. But first, he's in terrific shape. He, he's he's a, he's fitness freak. So he's always in the gym, always working out, Always, uh, even during the season, after games, he, he is so committed to his physical well-being. So I don't expect that to change. And the, the health is good. He said, even even coming off of his, his uh, sports hernia surgery, that there were still times last year where he could kind of feel it. So you would expect with time that that will be well in his, in his past. So, yeah, I don't. Boy, again, like the like the Patrice thing. You look at the numbers, and uh, I, I I I have to think he's the, he's the best all around left wing in the game. And given the usage on the power play, he's going to get plenty of five on five shifts, and he can he can score shorthanded goals on, on the kill. So again, just like Patrice, I, I don't see any kind of of immediate decline for this upcoming season just because of. He, his role, or what he's asked to do. He's the, he was the MVP uh, of the team last year. Um, does does everything hard? Does everything well? The shot is good. The legs are still good. Uh, the the fast twitch stuff is it will get him to the places. Um, and then the will, uh, his own personal drive to get on pucks, to win races, to outbattle every every opponent that comes in his way. That's going to get him into positions to to score so um yeah it's it, it, it is a pretty good story a pretty neat story to see that how he's evolved as a player the <clears throat> the agitating stuff is almost not there anymore he, he gets in a little bit of barking and yapping but a little bit of stick work here and there but nothing to the point where you think whoa he's going to be suspended for the next three five ten games like you kind of wondered in previous years, so he's he he knows that he's at his most valuable when he's playing, um, taking regular shifts, playing pretty much twenty minutes a game. Um, so he's he's there 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 is not going to be a drop off in Brad's play until uh, at least if if the health stays good. Yeah, which is just like, you know, normally you'd expect that, yeah, there's this like aging curve and he's going to slow down soon, but instead he keeps getting better. So yeah, going to next year, I have no reason why to not just project him for another 100 plus points because yep. he just does it every year. Yep. Uh, okay, so that's the top line. And the second line we've covered, uh, Krejci, he might not come back. I would definitely want to ask you about Taylor Hall. So he came over from Buffalo at the deadline, put up 14 points in 16 games, uh, only five points in the 11 playoff games. That's obviously too small to read into. Uh, I saw a tweet today by... Frank Cervalli, like saying that they're closing in on a deal potentially, like four years, six million. So I don't know, maybe that's just uh, speculation. But I'm curious to get your take on like, how did Hall look 
on the Bruins. Like, this is a guy who's used to being the main focus of attention, and now he comes in as a second-line left wing. I guess you were saying in our intro that you feel like maybe he liked it better because he doesn't uh, have to, you know, he could go for the championship as opposed to being the all-star on a team that, you know, is out of contention completely unless he's a superhero. Uh, so yeah, you you're saying that you think Hall liked it, but how did the how did you think he fit in with the Bruins in general? Yeah, I think he was an excellent fit, excellent. Um, and, and yes, <clears throat> on what pretty much every team that he's been on is not just that he was the number one left wing, but he had to be probably the guy in terms mm-hmm. of driving offense. He's not even the number one left wing on his team. Uh, he's he's always going to be number two behind Marshan, um, and I, I think that's for him. At least coming in, uh, he, he acknowledged right away he was struggling with his confidence. And you could see it just in the numbers. This is a player that, with the, with the way he can skate, the way he can carry the puck, the way he can attack the, the offensive blue line and, and uh, gain entries and push Ds back um, and, and put shots on net at high volume, that the numbers should have been way better with Buffalo than they were, but just the confidence, a lack of it was a huge issue for, for Taylor. So to have that easing of pressure to know that, okay, Marshan's going to get, he's going to play against what well, name it, uh, uh, Pelican Pulak every, every shift, right. The, the top D pairing for the other team, uh, McDonough or whatever, uh, Shea Weber, wh- whoever it is, that line is going to get the assignment and then Hall, and it turned out to be Craig and Smith, they're going to get that, that second pair, uh, maybe the second line, maybe the checking line. So in theory, he was playing against lesser competition, and he was a really good fit. Um, him, and, him and David Krejci had some really good chemistry. Uh, the speed was there. The legs were there. He was The Bruins are very pleased with his defensive game, too, that he was committed to playing uh, 200 feet, coming back, a very good back checker. Um, it was, was able to give them a little bit of a different look in terms of, um, having some speed, especially with, with Smith on the right side, that, that perimeter speed where they could use stretch passes, which they haven't really historically, um, to spread out defenses. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a good fit. You look at the age 29 and you look at the role again, he's in, he might not even play on the first power play. Uh, he was mostly second last year. Um, so, uh, not to say that he's a secondary player, but not top tier go get him offense first guy, uh, good role for him. Good fit. And, and, and especially if David comes back to have that remaining chemistry left over and, and, and spill over into next year. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good fit. Uh, and they need it because of, um, they, they thought they had a long-term second line left wing Jake DeBrusque, but that that doesn't look like uh, the correct projection for Jake at this point, and maybe he's not even around. So yeah, they they do need a long term solution at number two left wing, and yeah, Taylor's a really good fit. Yeah, it sounds like a rare case. Like usually, like a guy who's a former Hart Trophy winner wouldn't accept coming to a team to be like not on the top power play. But I guess you're saying that for Hall, that might have been just exactly what he was looking for. Yeah, yeah, personality. I think he he was, and maybe it was different in when he was younger. He wanted to be the guy, but. I think he's he's more comfortable now, just accepting a, a role, a specific one, um, and maybe he 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 realizes okay that the, the top line, a big moment pressure, not not that it's not for him because he did he did play well in in uh, high intensity situations, but if he's not the guy, I think he's okay with it. 
That's cool. And then, the, though, in terms of uh, fantasy, I got to start thinking then, if Hall comes back as the second line, second power play guy on the Bruins, like, what kind of, like, point projection should we come up with this guy? Like, he, you know, had that 100-point pace season with the Devils when he won the Hart Trophy. He paced for, like, 66 points when he was, you know, in 2019 with the Devils and the Coyotes. Last year was kind of a write-off before he got to Boston. Like, do you see him as maybe just like a, I don't know, I'm just coming off the top of my head, like a 60-point guy-ish? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think it, it would help if they, uh, they, they were really able to optimize him offensively not not just with David Krejci and Craig Smith but also with Mike Riley the the he was he was a defenseman along with Brandon Carlo who was usually on the ice with Taylor and and Riley was he was a good puck moving fit he was really good at getting to pucks first in the D zone and then getting them out uh, sometimes because he was playing left side right up the left wing onto Taylor's stick and, and off they went so I think it'll depend on on the the D that he's also paired with, but and, and maybe there is room for him on that first power play just because of of uh, his his past. But there's also a lot of question marks there. Does David Krejci come back? Um, is Nick Ritchie coming back? Is Jake DeBrus coming back? Where do they see Charlie Coyle? Um, is there going to be a right shot up at the point with Charlie McAvoy instead of a left shot with Matt Grizzlick? So there's some moving parts there, but. Yeah, I would say 60 points, probably probably within Taylor's range. Yeah, and then, of course, like, like you said, the power play could make a huge difference. You could sure. get, like, 20-plus points on the power play. Uh, by the way, we should give a shout-out to Craig Smith, the one guy we know that's going to come back for that second line if, if he stays there. He had a great season. Yeah. And it, it's ironic because last year when we were talking, you were, like, saying how the Bruins have never been able to find like a good like second line right wing now they finally get one now they might lose their left wing and center on the second line but hopefully they could all come back and yeah craig smith 32 points in 54 games it's a 49 point pace and actually if you just look at the second half of the year like 23 points in his final 30 games so things really took off once he like got on that second line consistently playing with crazy uh so i assume or is it fair to assume that smith is probably locked in at least to start the year as that second line right wing Yes, in all likelihood. Anyway, it wasn't really that. They, they, they had him as their third-line right wing because they had big uh, plans for Andre Kasha. But he, poor, poor Andre can't stay healthy. and yeah. gets knocked out in game two, and then, then that's all she wrote for, for his year. But yes, Craig was, was, was much better. Not that the, he wasn't great in the, in the first half, but a little bit quiet, a little inconsistent. Puck not really finding its mark, but second half he was very good. And whether that's getting more comfortable with his team, with the system, and then getting certainly getting the opportunity to play with Krejci and Hall helped him. But he was he was there before Hall was there, so he he was a good fit. He's he's older, but he still plays with 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 high pace, high energy, and he's a, he's a shot first guy, which really helps. So the volume will be there, even if he's not hot. That you would think that the the greater the more times he gets the puck on net, something something good is going to happen. Um, and yeah, the second power play for Craig, um, not on the first, so maybe that will suppress some of his his point totals. But consistent, that I think that's what they they liked out of Craig that they could kind of depend or, or, or rely on him in terms of okay, every time he plays, we we have a good idea of what he's going to do, which is play uh, high energy. And get on pucks, not physical, but he'll 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 engage and then shoot uh, within the dots when he needs to. So yeah, uh, a good fit for that second line right wing. 
Yeah, I think he's a decent sleeper for next year in fantasy. Like, I think a lot of people don't think about Craig Smith, but like I said, like he had that really strong end to the season. And by the way, you talk about how he'll be on the second power play, but if Taylor Hall and David Krejci and Craig Smith and even like Charlie McAvoy spent a lot of time on the second power play with Grizzlick, Q being the top power play. So maybe I wonder, do you think that the Bruins at some point might, not maybe not 50-50, but, you know, give more time to the second unit since they've got some really good players there as opposed to just like playing the top unit, like the caps, like all the time pretty much? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, it, it'll depend because, you know, Okay, it's going to be Bergeron, Marsha, and Pasternak. You can lock mm-hmm. them in for that for that first power play. So it, I think it'll kind of depend on, okay, what kind of design do they go with? Do they go with the right shot up top? Do they go with if Krejci comes back um, up up there? Um, does does Krejci play on the strong side? Because Pasternak historically he's liked the that Ovechkin spot on the left elbow, but teams are really keen on that on taking away that one timer. For Pasternak, so he at times he found himself on his strong side, on the right side of the formation, and David Krejci was sometimes over there on the left, which is where David Krejci uh, likes to play. So yeah, again, it's, there's a lot of variables there in terms of who's back and what do you want to run? Do you want to run the one three one? Do you want that heavy net front presence and Richie? So there's some options there for Bruce Cassidy to play with. Uh, but it all revolves around those three top guys. Yeah, for sure. And I guess, uh, so if Craig Smith, you know, started a little slow, then ended strong, I guess it was kind of the exact opposite for Nick Ritchie, who I kind of thought was going to be the front runner to go to Seattle. But the news come out. Oh, by the way, we're recording this Wednesday evening, like right before they're about to announce, but all these leaks have happened. So we pretty much know. And apparently Jeremy Lauzon is going to be taken yes. by Seattle, yes. which means Nick Ritchie, well, he's still at RFA, but currently still uh, property of the Bruins. Uh, he had an amazing start to the season, right? He was on the top power play. He had four points in his first 17 games nine of them on the power play uh but then even with holding that top power play spot for most of the rest of the season he fell off really hard the rest of the way only 12 points in his final 39 games so any sense of why richie like was able to be such a spark plug out of the gate only to like cool off is this again like just a simple variance thing or did something change in the way he was playing yeah i, I don't know probably role in terms of the second half and, and the playoffs um yeah i think he only had one goal in the playoffs so yeah not not good enough and he ended up on the fourth line which is not where right. he needs to be playing in the playoffs so uh yeah he got moved down off the second line once Hall came in, that's understandable. But was he impactful as your third line left wing as he should have been? No, not really. And did he make himself into a lock on that first power play net front guy? No, not really. So, yeah, at the beginning, I think he was motivated in terms of trying to make a, a good first impression because everything went so poorly for Nick uh, after he came over from Anaheim. So I think it was really he was really keen on getting off to a good start. And it was a good fit for him and Krejci. Um, again, they thought it was going to be DeBrusque and Kasha on the second line of Krejci. And they really, they actually really liked a third line in camp of Richie, Coyle, and Smith. Um, maybe that eventually happens. Who knows? Um, but uh, yeah, that was a, a bit of a, a disappointing end for, for Nick. I don't know if he ran out of gas, if he was just... If, if he was, and maybe he's just one of those guys that it's just, it's hard. One of those big guys doesn't kill penalties. Uh, maybe it's hard for him when he's getting a little bit of a reduced five on five role to get into a kind of rhythm when he's only playing 10 to 12, five on five minutes. Maybe that's an issue. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, he's restricted. He's ARB eligible. So it's not, that's not a guarantee that he gets his qualifying offer. So I think the Bruins, they like him, but I don't know if they necessarily like him at the price that he could get with arbitration. So maybe he's not qualified. Maybe he becomes unrestricted that way. And maybe he doesn't even come back. I don't know. I, I think they would prefer to negotiate a, a uh, not a longer term deal, but maybe a multi two year, whatever, three years at a shorter price, just because let's face it. The, the, the last third, last quarter wasn't good enough uh, for Nick. So that's a, that's a bit of a question mark and, and, and enough of one of, for, for Seattle to say we're not interested. So right. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm, that's a, that's a tricky one to forecast in terms of what is Nick Ritchie. Well, he's 25. He's going to be 26 at the end of this year. This should be his time to be an impact player. Is he ever going to be that, what he was projected to be when he was 10th overall in 2014? Probably not. But you give a, he's got good hands. He can get to the front of the net. Uh, he, he should be getting there enough to, to score consistently. Um, but just hasn't really from you from game one to game 82 he hasn't done that yeah like he had that good start and then fell off i guess he always has to be kind of on our radar if he's gonna get that spot on the top power play so we'll see how things shake out for next year and i guess okay speaking of the power play uh, i guess we have to talk about the big shift on defense uh both tory krug and zidane O'Chara were out of the picture and last year at this time when we talked we were discussing in depth if it would be charlie mcavoy or matt grizzlick that would take over for krug on the top power play uh, in the end, it turned out that Grizzlick was there the majority of the time when he was healthy, but that didn't stop McAvoy from having a career year himself. Uh, 30 points in 51 games. It's a 48-point pace. He ended up ranking fifth in the Norris voting behind just uh, Fox, Makar, Hedman, and Hamilton. And then, actually looking at the playoffs, McAvoy stepped up his game even more. He had 12 points in 11 games, and I took a look, and like he was on the top power play in the playoffs. In fact, eight of his 12 points came on the man advantage. So do you have any idea first of all just like what led coach Cassidy to you know go all season pretty much playing Grishik on the top power play, but then once it was playoff time swapping it around and giving McAvoy the spot which which he clearly succeeded on yeah no I I, I understand why Bruce did that uh, he thought it, it's just uh, a lot of it came down to, to stick left stick of, of Tori and then left stick of Matt that they felt that that was the least the avenue that would give them the least uh, amount or least degree minimal degree of disruption going from one year to the next, just in terms of having, and they, and they have similar uh, abilities, Tori and Matt, um, of being able to push the pace, get up there, walk the blue line. Now, Matt certainly doesn't do it as well as Tori, probably never will. But they thought just having a lefty up there would, he could get the uh, the, the puck over to Pasternak for the one-timer pretty easily, wouldn't have to you know, turn the hips and, and move uh, as a righty would, get it over there. He could rotate down to the right side like Tori did, to the half wall interchange and rotate with Marshand. So in terms of design, they thought Grizzlick would be the best fit, but absolutely Charlie was in terms of production as a right shot guy, he was better. So I would expect just in terms of production, he, he has to be the quarterback on the number one power play does everything uh, hard, goes back to the puck. Well, gets it up. He's good at entries. Uh, can defer to to his teammates in terms of entries if he needs to, but he's he's got some presence up there. He can move it. He can go down. They have a nice power play, a set set play off off the right 
side faceoff where he goes down, they win the puck, he goes down the right, and then he has some options. He can go behind the net, he can go out front, he can stop uh, at the at the near post. So that's that's a play that they like to run. He ran it well, um, and yeah, he he's he's confident in himself. Um, I think they would like him to shoot more, and and when he does get the puck on net. Um, that'll come with experience, but yeah, he was he was very good uh, on the point in, in the playoffs on that first unit. I don't see any reason that they should change that going into the regular season. Charlie McAvoy should be the year number one power play quarterback. Yeah, which just like makes you wonder, like how high can this guy go? If he had a forty-eight point pace last season with only eight points on the power play, that means you you know like a Tory Krug used to get like twenty-five points on the power play. So like we could be looking at like a sixty-plus point defense. Absolutely. So, no question. No question. Has the skill to do it. And if, if he gets that opportunity, I would expect him to, to take it. So, yeah, I, I think the points are only going to go up for Charlie. Yeah. And like you said, like, how could they not give him that opportunity again after? And he's in a, he's in a contract year. So. Oh, oh, so, there you go. Oh, so maybe they shouldn't give him the opportunity so that, that he doesn't. Uh... He's going to get paid. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. Uh, and then I guess Matt Grizzlick. He, you know, the opposite story. He was on the top power play for a lot of the season, though he, he had some health issues, uh, yes. only 37 games. He had both an upper body injury and a lower body injury at different times of the season. He picked up 20 points in 37 games. So that's a 44 point pace, which is actually like really valuable, though, with, with a lot of that coming on the power play that he might lose. Like, But anyways, I'm just curious, like, what's the latest on Grizzlick's health? Like, is he someone that the Bruins are expecting to come back at full health? Or is he kind of like a Bergeron type where we have to be concerned that maybe, you know, he's not going to always be able to play a full season because this isn't the first time that he's missed time. Right. He's good to go, but, and, and he, he's been a pretty healthy NHL player up until last season, but just is, is just is physics or whatever, <laughs> biology, whatever <laughs> you look at him. He's, 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 he's a, he's not a big guy, five, nine and hundred, uh, I forget 70 something. He's just, he's just, you put him up against Tom Wilson, it's, it's not a fair fight. Right. So there's always going to be that injury issue. But I think Matt has learned, especially I think he learned from this past season, he just can't be putting himself into vulnerable situations. And he's really good. He's, his hockey sense is, is tremendous. Vision, he, he can see plays coming. So I think he knows by now, okay, if if a play is not going to be favorable for him, he's going to, he's just going to pull the cord and, and get out and, and live to fight another day. So it depends. Uh, they have some options. Um, they started him at the beginning of the season with Brandon Carlo on that second pair. They like having a puck moving D with Carlo. That was a position that Tory Krug played before he left for St. Louis. But you look at when Grizzlick was paired with McAvoy, that was a super pair. That was Their numbers were ridiculous um, in terms of goal prevention, goals, expected goals. You, you name the metric. Uh, shots against per 60, they, they led in just about every category just because uh, they had the puck all the time. Um, and, and they're so good in terms of skating and positioning and reading off each other that they were good at denying entries and, and winning pucks when they didn't have it. So it depends how the Bruins uh, deploy Matt and what kind of left shot defenseman they get to compliment him, whether he is Charlie's full-time partner. I don't know. Uh, I think that'll be a matchup thing, situational thing. But when he's together with McAvoy, boy, those those metrics go through the roof. So I've, I've always been a huge Grizzly guy. Um, if he's with Carlo, are the points going to be there? 
probably not, but they have liked him with McAvoy. So I, I suspect that they will go, they will run that pair regularly, it, probably not all the time, but uh, if they're behind, for example, and they need, they need to go, they'll be together for sure. Mm. So again, it depends. And, and yeah, they have another left side hole to fill with Lausanne leaving. Uh, who knows if Zaboro, Jacob Zaboro is ready for that? I don't know. Um, I, I would suspect they really need to acquire trade or free agency, some kind of experience, stop, stopper, firefighter type for the left side. Um, but they, they will always look for Matt to Matt for his offense. And then, yeah, I saw that you were speculating that maybe someone like a Ryan Suter recently bought out by Minnesota could be a decent option, I guess, yep. if the price is right. I wonder if, like, all the teams are now thinking, like, oh, we could get Ryan Suter for cheap, and then that'll lead to the price actually being not so cheap <laughs> if, if the market is high. I'm sure there'll be multiple, multiple bidders on Ryan. Yeah, even though he's 36, uh, the, the performance was, again, good and not really signaling anything really off the cliff uh, dive in the next year or two. So I would suspect, yes, he, he absolutely ticks off a lot of the Bruins boxes. They will be interested. They will pursue him. Yeah. What kind of term he gets, that's key. Right. So I, I would absolutely expect somebody or, or the offers to start at two years. Maybe he even gets three somewhere. Um, but yeah, the, just given the ice time, he wouldn't get power play time like he did in Minnesota, but he would get penalty killing time. Uh, I think that would be that would be very high on the Bruins list. Right. Yeah. So hopefully they'll be able to figure out a way to fill the spot. Like you said, they might have Zaboral who could come up. I guess another defenseman I wanted to ask you about. You brought him up uh, briefly, Urhu Vakaninen. Uh, so he played a few games last season, nine games. Uh, do you, are we at a point now where the 2017-18th overall pick is ready to finally become like a full-time NHLer, or do you think it's still like up in the air if that's ever going to happen? This is it. This is probably the year where he has to decide and show, okay, I'm ready. And maybe there just isn't a spot for him um, at the beginning. I've always thought of Urho as a, as a better NHL player than an American League player, but that's you're never going to be on an organization's good side if you say, oh, I'm not interested in playing minor league hockey. I just want to play in the NHL now. So yeah. maybe he gets that with maturity another year being older, that he understands, okay, he has to be an impact player in Providence to earn a full-time call to Boston. I look at all the components of Verho's game and say, okay, the skating is there. The hockey sense is there. He's got a good stick. He, he goes back to the puck. Well, uh, can get the shot through. Um, but just there, there's been something missing in terms of consistency, in terms of hardness on the puck, in terms of shift to shift engagement for, for him, that it's been, it's been a disappointing progression. So if he doesn't put all those pieces together, that's, that's wasting a lot of his skills because um, they, they looked at three young defensemen last year, him, Lozon, and Zaboral, and were wondering, okay, can, can some of these players emerge? And, and that's part of the reason they were okay with letting Char and Crew go. Um, but he didn't I, – I, I, I still think he has the highest ceiling of the three in terms of all-around game. But he, he hasn't he hasn't done it enough to earn the coach's trust. So uh, this if, if if things don't go smoothly and well for him, he doesn't get any traction this year. Uh, is uh, that that window will close awful fast on him? 
Right, yeah, I guess it's too bad the Bruins haven't had the best luck with these uh, first-round picks. Also, I was thinking about uh, 2016, 29th overall pick Trent Frederick. He actually finally got a decent look on the team. He played 42 games this past season. They only averaged around like 11 minutes and 15 seconds of ice time, only five points in the 42 games. Is it, this is like really reaching probably, but I do have him on one of my fantasy teams. So I got to ask, is he someone who will ever like amount to like an offensive contributor or is he just, should we just consider him like a bottom six grinder yeah, type yeah. at this point? I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> okay, I don't see, I don't see the honest. Good play, but, but absolutely. If he, if he specs out in terms of what his ceiling is, that's, he's, he's an important, probably third line center can play left wing, can kill penalties, maybe second power play, either net front or bumper. Maybe, um, but he plays center, and the Bruins need those. Um, I, I will say though that that the progression from Trent's uh, year in Providence, twenty nineteen twenty, to his NHL year twenty twenty one was was really big. Like he took a really big developmental step. Uh, I think everybody was really impressed by the way that he progressed from one year to the next. So if he can make that kind of next step for 21-22, the Bruins have someone who can play. But in terms of pure offense, yeah, that's, I, I don't okay. think that's, that's within his, his uh, skill set. Okay, that's fair. I'll, and I'll throw one more prospect out at you. Uh, their first-round pick in uh, 2019 is a guy named John Beecher who played with the University of Michigan. Uh, unfortunately, his second year in college, this pastor didn't go like so well. He ended up needing sh- shoulder surgery in February, which cost him the end of the season. I read that he should be ready to go for the fall, though. So do you have a little scouting report for us on Beecher? Is he someone that the Bruins are happy they picked and are looking forward to seeing yeah. more from? Yeah, uh, again, another center, one that they need, left shot, big, and can skate. The, the skating is really good. So, yeah, does he does he pop in terms of top sec two line offense not yet at this point but it's hard to tell just because this is an important uh, he was a sophomore this past year and it's just shortened because of injuries uh illness it's just it just didn't go his way so this is it's an important year for him in terms of what to to at least exhibit what he could become as an nhler is he going to be maybe a second line center who can play with pace and the, the speed and the size can, can get him some offense, or is he more of that third line Frederick type, a faster Frederick, uh, maybe not as physical. Um, that'll, that'll be the line that, that he has to push, that, that, that line between second, possible second NHL center or third line NHL center. But that's, again, still young and junior in college that's 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 important so they'll be monitoring that one very closely okay cool yeah obviously these are spots that will need to be filled potentially like we discussed earlier so we'll see if Beecher's up for the task uh okay this has been a blast working through all the Bruins lineup with you Fluto I guess to end the show uh let me ask you a question that I also asked you last year uh, at the end of our interview if if we could pick one Boston Bruin that you expect to be like the biggest positive surprise next season maybe he's a little lower on people's radars than he should be and then on the flip side that's someone who you could see potentially being a bigger disappointment like someone who will get drafted high in fantasy and not deliver what people are hoping for like Hmm. who would your picks be okay uh that's a good question um well i think stanika is interesting 
just because I don't think he's on many people's lists, right? Just because who's Jack Stanika, but he, he's 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 got some pieces there that make him, if 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 he gets stronger, if he gets the opportunity that he has top top six skill, so that's that's interesting. Um, and I guess that depends a lot on if Krejci comes back or not. If Krejci, yeah, that's yep, yeah, that's certainly yep, yeah, that's 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 absolutely yes, that's one of the factors. Uh, in terms of the other way, hmm. um, well, let's see. It's tough with the Bruins because they have so much like like elite talent. Like they've got that top line, and you know McAvoy, and I guess. But then after that, is like there's such a drop that people aren't expecting so much from any of the other players. I guess Taylor. The, the one thing about McAvoy though is that he just okay. He, he's not as offensively dynamic as Makar. That's but that's fine. And yeah. you have to wonder, okay, how do the Bruins deploy him? Do they say, okay, Charlie, we just want you to. Uh, yes, I, I still expect him to be first power play, but okay. Do they say okay? Please just be that that shutdown guy for us on five on five, and maybe throw in some some penalty kill too. So maybe that just doesn't leave enough gas in the tank, and maybe he's just not playing against the kind of opposition, say uh, Makar is. Um, that he's always playing against first lines and top D pairings. So maybe that suppresses his offense a little bit. So maybe you shouldn't expect the, the Fox type numbers, the McCarr type numbers from Charlie. And that's fine. Bruins don't really, it sounds silly, but they don't really need him to be that kind of, of, of pusher in terms of offense, like uh, Carlson or, or that kind of player. So maybe that's one thing to keep in mind in terms of, okay, he should be in theory, doing really well offensively, but one reason that he might not. Um, so, and then you have to look at Swayman. Those, those numbers were, were crazy good last year. You just can't expect that kind of save percentage and goals against, but I think he's going to be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, hopefully people aren't expecting him to come in and be a, like a 940 save percentage goalie. Yeah. As a full timer. Uh, okay. So like I said, this has been a blast. Okay. One more question for you, actually. Uh, so this was something that you and Brian were talking about at the end of our interview last year. Brian was asking you about which city was the best for food of all the places you go. And you shocked me and said Ottawa, which Ottawa. is where my co-host <laughs> Brian is from. And you specifically mentioned that you're uh, really a fan of Shawarma Palace. And oh. so how are you feeling right now? But you haven't been able to go there for so long are you excited that next season you'll be able to travel back to ottawa and i hope so yeah i hope so that'd be really nice that's just yeah i I do think about that because that's something (laughs) we don't really have here in boston to that degree that that quality at that price point and quantity that's yeah that's uh that's one meal i miss so uh i do miss i I miss traveling in general but yeah that's that's that that restaurant I, i think about that place Okay, well, I'm very excited for you to be able to go back there soon. Yeah, Uh, yeah, thanks so much again for joining. I guess uh, before I let you go, let's tell people how they could follow all of your great work. Uh, I guess I could say, well, you might as well say, like, yeah, can you tell people, like, how they should follow you? Uh, Theathletic.com. Hopefully, people are subscribing and reading our stuff. Uh, And then uh, at Food Ocean's Out on Twitter. So uh, hopefully, people are are reading along. and, And thanks to those that are. Yeah, I definitely would highly recommend checking out uh, all of your great work on The Athletic. Lots of articles that I read to prep for this interview. Uh, so definitely, if, if you're a fan of the Bruins, you want to be following Fluto on Twitter and reading his articles on The Athletic. So thanks so much again for joining. Uh, good luck to the Bruins next year. I'm hoping that we can get past the uh, second round of the playoffs, give Bergeron a final cup run. We'll see. We'll see. My pleasure.
All right, thanks so much again to Fluto Shinzawa for that really fun deep dive into the Boston Bruins and all of the decisions they're going to have to make uh, this offseason in the coming years, figure out what this team's going to look like once all of the star veterans start finally fading out. Though it seems like none of them are slowing down at this point. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much for listening to the show. Also, we really appreciate you listening to episodes of Keeping Carlson in our 32 Beats interview series. Uh, we just recently dropped our Edmonton Oilers interview with Low Tide, Alan Mitchell, so I hope you liked that. Brian and I also did a show recently about all the trades from the past couple of weeks so if you just came here for the Bruins please subscribe to Keeping Carlson check out our latest shows we've been going all summer we're going to keep going with more beat writer interviews as well as analysis about everything going on in the NHL there's going to be a lot of news lately so yeah we'd love for you to get on board so subscribe for Keeping Carlson on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts Uh, we also have our Patreon program I just want to thank the patrons so much for your support you could learn more about our patron community and perks over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron but okay with that let's cue the outro music i'm gonna read you the credits my dog is scratching at the door here i'm not sure if that's coming through on the microphone so i better get going but yeah this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dabber hockey and supported by our patrons the outro music is by pat roach the logo artist by brandon weeb and i uh, researched this episode using frozen tools cap friendly elite prospects and of course the athletic and all the articles by fluto shinzawa so yeah that's it for this episode and i'll be back to you soon with another beat writer interview i think we have one scheduled to record on sunday night which means it'll come out monday morning most likely so just make sure you subscribe to keeping carlson and until we talk to you next time just remember that fantasy hockey is for everyone